Good morning and welcome to worship. We also wish you a happy new year. Today is the beginning of the Christian church year, another brand new year in which we contemplate the grace of our Lord and look forward to our Savior's great return. The coming of Jesus has changed everything and has established the church. And today we, we contemplate God's vision for his church. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, the Lord our Savior. Amen. Invite your thoughts this first Sunday in Advent to the word written in the Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is the message that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This will take place in the latter days. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it like a river. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Then he will instruct us about his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For from Zion the law will go out, and the Lord's word will go out from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and he will mediate for many peoples. Then they will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into blades for trimming vines. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of our God. In him who is our light and our salvation, the Lord Jesus, my dear friends. I kind of wish I were a visionary, but I'm not. There are people who have that gift. And I kind of admire it in them. People that could look at an old, run-down, dilapidated house and can see in a moment the potential that house has after a little bit of elbow grease and a whole lot of money poured into it. Visionaries, people like Henry Ford or Jeff Bezos, who come up with a plan, who have an idea, and they see it through to execution, and it forever changes the way in which we do things. I'm not a visionary, but the God whom I serve is. About 700 years before the birth of our Savior, God's people, the people of Israel, were a spiritual mess. And so he sent them his prophet Isaiah to deliver a message, and it wasn't a pretty message that Isaiah had to share with them. In fact, in just the second verse of the first chapter of this book, the Lord said this to the prophet Isaiah, Hear this, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Ouch. With the heavens and the earth serving as his witnesses and the jury, the Lord presents his case against his chosen people of Israel. They've rejected him. 
They've abandoned him for the worship of false idols. Their leaders were corrupt. Their worship was insincere. Their idolatry was appalling. They oppressed the weak, refusing to show the, the same tender mercy that the Lord had shown to them. And as a result, the Lord announced to them a message of coming desolation. That desolation would come first at the hands of the Assyrians who would wipe out the northern kingdom, and then sometime later through the Babylonians who would carry the southern kingdom off into captivity. That would be the Lord's way of lovingly chastening his people to bring them back to him. So the message of the first chapter of Isaiah was pretty tough and pretty harsh, but then we get to chapter 2, these words of our text, and the Lord here in these words is looking further down the road. While it was true that there was a time of desolation coming, there was also a time of salvation coming. And today the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, shares with us God's vision for his church. And friends, it is a sight for sore eyes. And it involves us. Let's take a closer look. God's vision announced through Isaiah starts like this. This will take place in the latter days. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it like a river. We don't have many mountains around here. But I suspect that maybe at some point you took a trip to the mountains, maybe you drove up to the top of a mountain, maybe you did some hiking in the mountains and took in some really breathtaking sights. Mountains are natural, are natural attractions. Isaiah here is talking about a mountain. More specifically, he's talking about the Lord's house on top of a mountain. The Lord's house, well, that's just Bible speak for the temple of the Lord. Isaiah says that there is a mountain that will stand out from all the others, but what does that mean? Remember now, Isaiah is living and prophesying about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And this is key, that in the language of the Old Testament, that phrase, the latter days or the last days, is referring not just to the time right before Judgment Day, but to the entire New Testament age. The latter days include every day since Christ rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. The latter days are here and now. And notice what he says. He says, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the chief of the mountains. So now let's go back and think about Old Testament ways, Old Testament history. There was one temple, and that was the temple at Jerusalem. And God commanded his people, that's where you go to offer up sacrifices. God commanded his people, you make the, the journey to Jerusalem for these special high festivals, for Passover, for instance, and you worship me there. That temple mount in Jerusalem, that's where God called on people to worship him. And so his people would come from Galilee and, and all over the region and make their journey up to the temple at Jerusalem. And there the priests would offer up sacrifices day in and day out, every single one of them pointing to the blood of the Lamb Jesus who would shed his blood to take away the sin of the world. But what does Isaiah see in his vision? He sees the Lord's house, the temple, on a mountain that's higher 
than any other mountain. Well, it's true that the temple in Jerusalem was situated on top of a hill. It would really be a stretch to call that hill a mountain. The Lord isn't telling us here that Mount Moriah, where the temple was, would rise up to be the highest mountain in the world. That's not what he means. He's speaking in figurative language. Friend, this house of the Lord on this highest mountain is the holy Christian church, the communion of saints. Now, the holy Christian church is not a thing, and it's not a place, the Holy Christian Church is people. Those the whole world over and those also already in heaven who are true and steadfast believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So what the Lord is envisioning here through the prophet Isaiah is his New Testament church, the church that we're blessed to be a part of and Isaiah sees that church as chief among the mountains and, and raised above the hills. That, that's not meant so much in a geographical or literal way, but in a figurative way. See, there, there are lots of spiritual hills and mountains. And people scale them trying to find truth or meaning or, or life. There are all kinds of different world religions. There are all kinds of different philosophies, spiritual philosophies at work in our world today. There are all kinds of things that people cling to, looking for hope and salvation, but none of those other things can save. They aren't high enough. In the end, they always leave people falling short and leave people looking to themselves for this hope and this deliverance, and that never works. But the church of the living Christ has and proclaims and shares the message, the only message that is able to save a sinful people. And it's the message of Christ, Christ given for us. His life was lived as a perfect substitute for our very imperfect sinful lives. His blood was shed at the cross to make payment for the sins that we have committed in our lives. His blood washes away the stain of our sin. His message saves. And so, friends, we exist both individually, together as a congregation, and as a holy Christian church. We exist to proclaim the good news of forgiveness and life and salvation in Christ Jesus and in Him alone. So what happens when God's vision is realized? When the church becomes this, this gathering of people who are constantly pointing others to Christ and the hope and the eternal life that Christ gives, people come streaming the whole world over into that holy Christian church. And we're blessed to see that happening in our world today. Not just people here in our community, not just people here in our state or in our country, but people all over the world, nations near and far, where the word of God is being proclaimed in its truth and purity, and Christ is held up as Savior and solution, and, and people through the gospel are brought into that church. They come streaming to it like a river. Believers, this is God's vision for this church. 
that we become a dispensary to share the hope, the life, the salvation that is Jesus Christ. That we freely proclaim Christ and the peace that we have in him because of what he has done for us. This is us. We are the church that God envisions here. Notice verse 3. People from all over will be drawn to the church. They say, he will instruct us about his ways. That's our function. That's why we exist. To instruct people about the ways of the Lord. And his ways are merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving. His ways are salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We have what everyone needs. We have the cure. We have God's word, the truth. We have a purpose in life, and that purpose is to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. Today, as we start a brand new Christian church year, let's make a a Christian church year, new year resolution to each kick it up a few notches, both individually in our lives and collectively as a congregation, to do everything that we can to work, to share, so that we can proclaim this Christ and many more can come streaming into the Holy Christian Church. And what happens when people come to learn the ways of the Lord Well, the Lord goes on to show us his vision for his New Testament church. It's characterized in one word, peace. Verse 4 says, Then they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into blades for trimming vines. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn of war anymore. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? I want you to imagine a first century Israelite who enters into a time-traveling machine and shows up here among us in our modern-day times. And then we share with him this vision that God has for his New Testament church. Do you think he might argue that things today don't really resemble what the Lord here says is coming? but they're going to beat their swords and spears into farming utensils because there's so much peace that reigns supreme. I, I don't see it. This coming Wednesday will mark the sad one-year anniversary of that tragedy that unfolded just up the road from us at Oxford High School. Since that year, think of all the different acts of violence that have taken place around our country. Think of all the hatred that we see in social media. Think of the loveless jabs that political parties take at each other. Turn on the nightly news and notice all the violence on the streets. Notice the the warfare happening over Russia making war on Ukraine. Think about homes that are shattered by strife. Peace, Lord? Really? We need to know that the peace that the Lord here is promising, envisioning, is not world peace. It's not domestic peace. It's not political peace. Think, what did the Christmas angel say to a group of shepherds that night just outside of Bethlehem, shepherds who were sore afraid. 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then Luke tells us that suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace, goodwill toward men. Peace. The peace that God is envisioning here is the peace that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The peace that the gospel proclaims is an end to the hostility between God and sinners. The peace that the Bible proclaims, the peace that the New Testament church proclaims is the peace that is forgiveness for all of our sins that we find in Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we know that we do not have to live life at odds with God and face an angry judge when this life is over. We are at peace with him and live at peace with him. This is the peace that can quiet your troubled conscience. This is the peace that comes from the gospel. It's the peace that's our greatest commodity to this very day. Because let's not kid ourselves. We fall under the very same judgment as those first century people of God. We haven't given God the worship that he deserves. We haven't been free of all corruption in our lives. Our lips have spoken unkind, hurtful, and mean words. Our attitudes have not been stellar. We have not done everything we can to try to live peaceably with the other people living in our world. Every single one of us, we all fall short of the glory of God every day. But God in his abundant mercy and grace has pardoned us. He's issued an eternal stay of execution. And it's all because he sent one to be condemned in our place. That precious Savior named Jesus. He was put to death because of our sins, but he was raised to life because of our justification. That risen Savior declares to me, to you, the members of his church, peace be with you. Your sins are all forgiven. No matter what they are, I died to take them away. We live in this blessed peace with the Lord, a peace that he envisions here through Isaiah, and it's all because of Christ. So let's be among those who are wrapped up in this peace of Christ. And as we take in that message of his peace, let's react by saying this with these Old Testament believers. We will walk in his ways, in his paths. How are you going to walk in the paths of this Christ in the week that begins today? Think of how Jesus interacted with others. Think of his tender love, his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness, his compassion. Think of how he shared the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's strive to emulate that as we walk in his paths in this new week. Let's emulate his love and his peace as we live in his world. Let's beat the swords of of rudeness and lovelessness into instruments of kindness and compassion and peace. Let's strive to live at peace with the others in our world as Christ loves them.
And because of him, because of Jesus, we can look even further down the road beyond these latter days to an eternal day, to a perfect peace to come in heaven. The absence of even, I mean even the smallest bit, the absence of any strife forevermore. Perfect peace because our king is the king of love and he came for us. I can't think of a better note on which to start a brand new church year. Today, Isaiah is reminding us that the Lord is faithful to all of his promises. And even though we live in a world that is ravaged by sin and strife, God dwells even now here among his people through word and sacrament. He is with us. He lives in our hearts. He guides us with his truth. And he fills us with his hope. So come and let us walk in the light of the Lord this new church year and always. Amen.